Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome back to the Wingspan Podcast, Episode 9. I'm Doug Barrick, joined by my co-host Chris Mahalan of Nets Daily and our special guest. Our guest is a senior writer for Heavy.com and a host of the Scoop B Radio Podcast. We welcome Brandon Scoop B Robinson to the pod. Thank you for taking some time out of your night to join Doug and I. How are you doing? Gentlemen, I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Pretty, pretty good. Can't complain. Well, we're glad to have you on. So we just want to start off by uh, asking about your journey, where you got to today, college you went to, and your first sports media position or internship. All right. So um, even before, you know, college and first internship or whatever, um, my interest in in sports at large started at a sneaker store. Uh, My family owned and operated a sneaker store in Harlem on the 25th Street called The Athlete's Foot. We were the only black-owned Athlete's Foot in New York State. And uh, during that time, you know, we had appearances like Clyde Drexler would do, you know, sneaker releases for his Avia sneakers at the store. You'd have, uh, you know, uh, Dominique Wilkins and Hakeem Olajuwon doing, you know, releases for their sneakers. So, like, as a kid, I used to just see that a lot. Uh, just, you know, different athletes coming in, Mike Tyson coming to shop, the Wayans brothers coming in the shop. And, you know, even we had a sneaker store, we had a shoe store too, a men's shoe store. And so, like, as a kid, I would see jazz musician uh, Dizzy Gillespie come in and, you know, and, and he would shop it since when I was young and I knew who he was because I played the saxophone. Um, and, and just, you know, just the interest in the industry started just from, you know, observing and ringing a cash register. I would make a dollar a day ringing the, the cash register you know, at the family stores. Um, and, you know, really basketball, the interest there came, you know, and as well as in Harlem, my uncle was a commissioner of parks for uh, uh, citywide at Riverbank State Park. So anybody who came out the city knew my uncle Billy. So, you know, like Kitty Smith knew my uncle, Rod Strickland uh, knew my uncle, um, Stefan Marbury, Bernard King. And just, you know, that relationship with New York City and basketball is really what, you know, started the started the journey for me um, at, at 12 years old. I actually had a radio show with the Nets uh, when they were in New Jersey called Nets. Oh, really? Uh, and I co-hosted it with Albert King, Evan Roberts, uh, and Chris Carino was the executive producer of the show. And Love Chris. Uh, thought, Such a great yeah, guy. 
for sure, for sure. So it was on 1660 AM, Oswald Radio, which was broadcast at Liberty uh, Science Center. And then the last year, it was for two seasons, it was on um, 620 AM, 101 Sports, which is now defunct. Um, and, you know, we did it at the Nets uh, Practice Center in, the, in East Rutherford at the time. And, you know, that kind of set the foundation for me. The show was featured on NBA Inside Stuff. You know, and then after that, I kind of just went to back to being a normal kid. I was about 14 at the time. I uh, went to prep school um, and then uh, went to college, went to Eastern University, uh, was the public address announcer for, you know, uh, the, the, and, and a DJ uh, for the for the basketball teams and, and, and other sports as well. Uh, I have to say, former Nets public address announcer Gary Sussman was definitely a cool dude to model after, um, but but kind of not established my own style as well. Uh, my first internship wasn't until grad school. I was actually an intern um, at NBC uh nightly news with, with Brian Williams at the time, as well as NBC news special MSNBC news special. So kind of just bounced around Philly, New York, Jersey. Um, and you know, after I finished grad school, uh, my first, uh, role in any capacity was, um, as a staff writer at the source magazine, legendary hip hop magazine. Um, uh, I've had stints there, uh, but managing editor at, at publications like respect magazine. I also freelanced a lot. Um, freelanced at max preps, um, and, you know, wrote some feature stories on uh, Jabril Peppers when he was in high school, as well as Kyrie Irving uh, when he was a member of the Cleveland Who's that Academy. guy? Oh, some guy. Um, so, you know, really and truly just freelanced, staff wrote, and just really cultivated relationships. And, you know, here we are now. Oh, cool, cool. So can you talk a little bit more about the sneaker store and, like, kind of the emotions seeing such big names walk through? And do you have, like, any of that kind of memorabilia that was in the shop, you know, from those, you know, that experience that you had? Like, what were the emotions you went through? Did you Were you able to capture it more than just memory? Like, Yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you what. So, Like, are we going through the album afterwards? Did, did Say that again. Are we going to go through the album afterwards, man? Yeah, we might have to do that. We might have oh. to do that. So exclusives, I will tell you that it's funny. I ran into Dominique Wilkins in Charlotte last year uh, at All-Star Weekend. And I said to him, um, I said, yo, I got a picture at my, my mom and my stepdad's house of me, of you holding me when I was a baby. Oh. He, said, he said, for real, all I said was Harlem Brooks shoes. He goes, I remember that. I made a lot of money back in the day. <laughs> in the city. And it was funny That's because awesome. like. I was staying at the retire. I was staying at a hotel where all the retired players were staying. So like, I did interviews with like a bunch of people there. So like, you would see everybody and their mama and their mama's mama at that hotel. So it was like, like I ran into Paul Silas and Paul Silas. My grandmother was a huge Paul Silas fan because she's a Celtics fan. So like, when I told her, like it was a special moment. My freshman year of college, LeBron played for the Cavaliers and Paul Silas was his head coach. Me and my grandmother used to just sit and watch Cavs games. Her for Paul Silas, her for LeBron. And I shared that story with him. He was like, wow, that's crazy how much basketball and relationships and just that, that was a special moment. So, you know, for me, um, the sneaker store in and of itself was just a, a wonderful opportunity. I'll never forget during my time with the Nets um, when I was a, a, a kid, um, it carried over from the sneaker store in this aspect. I remember um, one time we had an argument in the sneaker store over why we should hang or why a Rex Chapman poster should be taken off the store's walls. My mother said that they should keep Rex Chapman. She said, because that's a bad white boy, meaning he could play. And she argued left and right. We're not taking the Rex Chapman poster down. We're not taking the Rex Chapman poster down. 
So at the time, when I was a kid, years later, Rex Chapman played for the Phoenix Suns. And I saw him in the locker room. I introduced myself. How you doing? I'm Brandon Robinson. He goes, I'm Rex Chapman. It's nice to meet you. I said, oh, I know exactly who you are. He said, oh, you do? I said, yeah. My mom said, you a bad white boy. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> How did he react? He fell out laughing after I told him the whole story. It was pretty cool. I love that kind That's of emo- like connection and emotions. And then yes, Brent, sir. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Nets radio. So what was it like kind of working with those guys and kind of being underneath their wing? Like, what were some of the most important things you learned? And then since we've been talking about sneakers the whole time, are you a sneakerhead right now? Um, I like sneakers. I, I, I have my sneaker collection has grown um, in the past year, whether it's Puma stuff, Nike stuff, Adidas stuff. I probably have in storage and at home, maybe about Mm, currently 60, 60 to 65 pairs of sneakers. Okay. Okay. I got some work to do. Pretty good. <laughs> I do. I, when I was a child, it was worse. Oh, wasn't paying for those shoes. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, you know, that's, one that's thing. Everyone was. But, you know, I'll tell you what. Being in a family sneaker store, my mom would not allow me to get Air Jordans. Ooh. Okay. What was, what was that like? like? Um. I didn't care because I still had cool shoes. It's funny because <laughs> a lot of people are, are retro and Patrick Ewing sneakers. I used to wear those as a kid and people would laugh. Now they retro them and it's cool. You got to show them those old pictures. Like, see what I did? Yeah. That was me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, to, to answer your question about the, the, the radio experience, I think it was cool because I had fallen in love with basketball um, at six years old. Uh, I know I talked everything about New York and New Jersey. My stepfather's from Chicago. He literally grew up minutes from um, the old Chicago stadium. And I turned on the TV in 91, saw a bald head guy named Michael Jordan. And um, for me, that was the love that I had for basketball between that, you know, my uncle running citywide and being in a sneaker store. I was just very engrossed, you know, into that culture. And just, you know, just it, the 90s was a cool time to fall in love with the game, watching the NBA on NBC, um, you know, the late David Stern having a good, you know, a, a good product on the floor. And, you know, I think we were spoiled in the 90s with the amount of just great players and a lot of branding and co-branding and things that were going on back then that we can now quantify as branding. Um, and so when, you know, by the time 97, 98 came around with the Nets, um, it was an opportunity that I took advantage of. I, I remember being a kid, seeing Fred Kerber in the locker room uh, with the New York Post. I remember seeing... Um, Stephen A. Smith in the opposing Sixers locker room. Uh, I remember seeing Chris Broussard when he was with the New York Times, you know, in the Nets locker room. I remember seeing Woj when he was with the Bergen record uh, when I was a kid. So a lot's changed since then. Yeah, a lot has changed since then. But if you know that was 20 years ago and they feel old, I I I can I guess I feel old with them too. But and you make Chris feel young. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) feel young over here. Yes, yes. So you know, I, I think. You know, the, the opportunity was an opportunity that I see a lot of teams replicating now with kid personalities. Um, and I think I was able to do it before the digital era. And I think that's both a, a, a gift and a curse where I am currently professionally, because a lot of times when I put certain things out and say certain things, people question, well, who the hell does he think he is? And it's like you have to go and research it. I may not be a household name to certain people, but that's where relationships matter so much. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, Brandon, I also want to ask you, too, a little bit about kind of your thoughts on the NBA today and the sneakers. So, obviously, you see a lot of guys today got their own custom sneaker deals, and Puma's becoming a big name or trying to become a big name, signing people like who's on them. 
So where do you think kind of sneaker industry is heading with your background and your knowledge on it? Um, I, I think, you know, you said something about Puma, Puma, excuse me, trying to be a big name. What's interesting is, I don't know if you remember when Vince Carter actually wore Puma. Yeah, that was the very beginning of his career. Yeah. He wore, he wore Puma at the beginning of his career, and he said that, you know, the reason why he stopped wearing it was because, you know, his, his feet were all comfortable. And then, you know, when he won the slam dunk contest as a member of the Raptors, he wore the uh, and one Tai Chi sneakers. Yeah, exactly. You know, I know that Vince Carter, now a Nike guy, has been, you know, told years ago, you know, he can't talk about that moment as it relates to what he was wearing on his feet. But that was one of the biggest moments for and one. I've done some, you know, some 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 consulting and some, you know, branding with and one on the side uh, over the last few years, as well as with some other companies. And, you know, you, you hear a lot of just that stuff about, you know, what players can say and, and won't say. Um, so I'm happy that, you know, Puma has been able to make a resurgence of sorts because for years, you know, Nike has been, mm, has been king. Adidas has, has had held their crown. And, you know, it's interesting to kind of see other, you know, uh, sneaker companies uh, get their just due. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact, you know, the, the Zion Williamson sneaker explosion uh, when oh, he played Duke last year wearing the Paul George sneakers. That gave Puma an inch and they took advantage of it with that tweet. Yeah, and uh, exactly. I will tell you, I will tell you that um, in, my, in my dealings with you know sneaker companies, uh, you know Michael Jordan had to put up some of his own money to get Zion Williamson to sign with Jordan. You know Puma oh, wow. was, was Zion, Puma was up there as far as a as far as a potential candidate and actually signing them, and you know you couldn't make that happen. But um, Puma, I, I'm pleased with the slow and steady roster. You know, not only uh, with Jay Z getting a creative uh, stake. Uh, within Puma, but Jalen Rose being part of it. And, you know, you have other, you know, guys like God Shamagod, who's who's an assistant coach with the Dallas Mavericks, who, you know, has been able to customize his his own shoe. A guy that's been a legend for years and getting his just due. Um, just a lot of people, I think, you even look at China and business in China at large. Um, you know, we've had this disparity based upon what was said in the preseason uh, and that you know dictated some things that are that are happening in the NBA now, particularly with the salary cap. But I'll be at that. You know, you see Dwayne Wade uh, with his sneaker company and signing D'Angelo Russell, former Net, huge uh, as the face of that now. So you know, it's just it's a great opportunity to be in a creative space. It does remind me of my childhood because there's so many sneaker companies out there. Like Scottie Pippen wore Avia sneakers before he signed the Nike. I don't yeah. know if you know that. Oh, I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I'm a big sneaker guy myself, and obviously you see. Just the resurgence, like you said, of Puma signing DeAndre Ayton and a couple other guys, and then obviously with Michael Jordan and with Jordan signing Dantich, and then because back then it was Converse, Reebok with Shaq. Like you can name a lot of certain how everything was panned out, but the thing that the NBA has always done well, especially with David Stern, is he marketed his athletes, and that was the main form of getting the NBA popular. So today you see a lot of these players getting their signature shoes on top of players, even celebrities and and public figures. You see with Retro, you see Fresh Prince with Will Smith, Martin, Martin Lawrence, mm-hmm. uh, these other guys. So I see exactly where you're coming from. Yes, sir. And, and then the next question I'm going to ask, uh, you touched on a little bit in the beginning, but when did you realize you kind of wanted to pursue a career in sports? Obviously, you grew up with sports all around you from the stories you talked about with the sneaker shops in the beginning to falling in love with basketball at age six. So can you just talk about, like, when did you realize that you wanted to take that passion for sports and make it into Something that you're going to be paid for doing for the next 40, 50 years of your life. I think after the Nets experience was when I realized, like, wow, this is a big deal. And I think one day I had a couple out of body experiences 
um, during that 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 time uh, with the Nets. I think one was when I interviewed Rick Moranis from Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Oh um, man, he was he was at a game. Um, you know, I interviewed Jamal Anderson. Uh, you know, he he went to Utah and was teammates with Keith Van Horn. Keith Van Horn was the first player I interviewed uh, during my time with the Nets, and I remember being in the back uh, waiting to get in after a game. And I was standing in the back. It was me, my stepdad, Jamal Anderson, and David Aldridge. And while we're standing there, I actually interviewed David Aldridge. This was 97. And Jamal Anderson is in the back. He's got a jersey sign that he's going to hand to Keith Van Horn. And then when Keith came out, he handed Jamal Anderson his signed jersey because they were, you know, friends in, 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 in college at Utah. And I, I kind of had like an out-of-body experience like, wow, I could see myself doing this you know, years down the line and, you know, those experiences or, you know, you, you, you're walking around the arena as a kid and you see other kids who see what you do and they're like, you're the kid from inside stuff. Can I have your autograph? Like how many 12 year olds, you know, that have those experiences. And, you know, I wasn't comfortable. Like it was, it's, it's always been this quest to, you know, continue learning and to continue having fun. Cause my thing is like, there's a lot of people in this industry that I see, that may be in a better position than me or maybe at a major network, but this is not what they wanted to do since childhood. And, and maybe they're not happy. Like I actually enjoy doing this because it's, it's, it's not work, even though it's work. Like it makes me happy. You know, that's why we started podcasting, man. Yeah. Well, I got to ask you one quick question. Cause you mentioned Keith Van Horn. What happened to the sock game? Why, <laughs> why, why is it shortened out? You know, what, um, what's your thoughts? Opinion, of course. On socks in the NBA at large? Yeah, come on, man. They got to get more flashy. They got to, you know, do different things. I, as I say, it works like that's the way to express yourself because I work in, you know, I got to wear the more formal stuff. So I'm like, the best way to express yourself is about the socks. So I'm like, my answer is like, nice socks. I'm like, yeah, it's all about the sock game. So that's my thing. So I'm like, what right. happened in the NBA? Well, I, I think a couple things. The last player that I vividly remember wearing high socks was Jason Terry. Um, he wore high socks for many years. Uh, I think it's in phases. Like I think, for, like I remember when I was a kid, and I would be in the Nets locker room with like Sam Cassell, and like I asked him why he would always wear mids instead of high tops, and he said they were just more comfortable. But then he would always have ankle injuries, so it's like, is it com- are you doing it for look? Or are you doing it for comfort? But then you see Keith Van Horn, he did it just because that was his own individual style. I think everybody has their own individual individual style. I remember. Um, Allen Iverson, he wore the sleeve. It actually, you know, it actually wasn't for style. The arm sleeve, which everybody wears now, is for two reasons. One, uh, there was a lot of controversy when Allen was playing. Like, you know, they airbrushed his tattoos on the cover of Hoop Magazine, one. Two, he had, (laughs) as we're going to probably talk about later, at times in his elbow, he had bursitis. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he covered he, the, the, the tattoos and he covered and he had needed the protection of the sleeve for the bursitis. So here we are now. You got guys like Ray Allen who would wear a sleeve because he wanted to keep his arms warm for when he gets he gets to the game. He's he's very, very, very routine and very superstitious oriented. Um, you look at LeBron who wore the head who has worn headbands because he wants to cover his hairline. You know, we've heard that for many years. You've got, you know, the 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 cornrows, Allen Iverson wore cornrows, not necessarily for style, but he was tired of going to the barbershop all the time. So he wanted something that would last. You know, so everybody has their thing. I don't know why high knee socks are are, are not a thing currently. Maybe that's for Catholic schoolgirls in high school, maybe. I don't know, but I mean, it was a cool thing when Keith Van Horn did it. Maybe it'll come back. 
Well, so, you gotta yeah. get started, man. You gotta, you know, <laughs> talk to the players. Like, you know, what happens to the art of the socks? Yeah. Yeah, gotta, and, yeah, and then Brendan and Doug, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the NBA has a rule that you can't wear uh, different branded socks. I'm pretty sure you can only wear NBA socks. I'm pretty sure that's a it rule. Has to I'm be not uniform. too sure. It has yeah. to be uniform. If you guys remember, this is, you know, you guys are Nets guys. You remember when Kerry Kittles were one up and one down? Yeah, I remember that. The NBA sent him a memo and said, you have to choose one. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I do remember that. I remember, re- obviously, I don't remember reporting or reading on it because I wasn't in the field then, but I remember as a fan kind of seeing that and hearing that. But I remember that story. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Man, that's so interesting. So, like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big sock guy, like I said before. Like, some of the designs, like, could you imagine pop culture socks became a thing? Because now that the NBA started, you know, more expression through sneakers, I think that would be really cool if they did similar with the socks. And that is my last sock comma. Just <laughs> No, I, I mean, I'm a sock guy, too. Uh, over the last year, I have been dressy, but casual dressy. But Yeah, for sure. When I would step into arenas and various functions, I'd be suited, tie, bow tie, and socks with some shoes. And... You know, socks complete the outfit. I, I feel like if you if you if you if you dress good, you feel good. And if you feel good and no, you dress no. good, more eyes will be on you, and there's more opportunities to make money. Exactly, yeah. I agree and with sim- that. I agree. With yeah. That. And since we're talking NBA fashion a little bit, what about the T-shirt and the blazer, or the hoodie and the blazer? I was just thinking the other day, like once KD looks like he's on five on five, or like getting close to coming back. I was just thinking this right before we we're on the pod, I'm like. A cool way to hint that he's coming back. He wears his actual u- jersey uniform hmm. under a blazer. Like, how cool would that be? Like, you know, yeah, that, that, th- that, that one blazer, step away. That blazer hoodie look Scoop is B not Radio. new per se. Actually, before I saw Kai and, and KD doing it, Kenny Smith was often wearing it on inside the NBA over the last year and a half. He's he's worn it. Um, it's not new, but it's it's definitely new school. Um, I was in Oklahoma. The day Russell Westbrook got traded, I was with Russell the day he got traded, and the next day I did some TV uh, on Good Morning Tulsa, and I actually wore a hoodie and a blazer. It's comfortable. It's like oh, think sure, about it. I love you hoodies. Think, yeah, you think about it, right? Form-fitting, like Under Armour type hoodies under a blazer. If you're going to a function that's maybe more ca- business casual, you can get away with it, and say you're going to the club after, you can take the blazer off. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, it's sure. good. It's very good to have that like versatile appeal to things. It's classy. It's different. Yeah, I mean, I personally can't. I mean, speaking of Russell Westbrook, I, I can't wear that kind of stuff. But I think maybe one day down the line, I will have the confidence to rock a hoodie and a blazer. <laughs> I, I hope so. I was just thinking about it for whatever reason, because, you know, it was funny last night. Uh, Theo Pinson, who was, you know, he was, you know, not playing. He was practically wearing the same thing as Kyrie. So it's like Kyrie never left the bench so that. That, um, you know, it's inspiration of how they all feed off each other in one way or form. For sure. sure. So I I really love that kind of other intentional or unintentional, you know, way that they affect each other in such a positive manner. But anyways, we're going to switch it a little bit up. So um, when did you start watching the NBA? First uh, memory of the NBA, favorite team growing up, and was covering the NBA a dream of yours? Obviously, you mentioned it lightly before with the sneaker store and uh, radio with the Nets. But can we do a little more of a deep dive? Well, sure. So, you know, I mentioned my stepdad being from the west side of Chicago, uh, Northwestern grad. Um, and, you know, li- he actually grew up uh, with Isaiah Thomas. They both were from literally like grew up blocks from each other. They're around the same age. 
And, um, you know, so for me, like I talked about the sneaker store, I talked about my uncle who's commissioner of parks at Citywide in Harlem, but watching the Bulls, you know, as a, as a kid in the nineties, early nineties to, to late nineties, you know, that, that they were the, they were the Beatles, you know, they were, they were, they were the it team. Um, so, you know, Michael and his sneakers and his swag and his style is something that, you know, I, I was attracted to as far as just winning. Like I think to have a Michael Jordan mindset is to, to, to have a standard of excellence in everything you do. The way you talk, the way you dress, the way you hold other people on your team accountable, whether that's working on a school project, whether that's, you know, going into a, a, a business meeting, like just having that mindset. And I think uh, Michael Jordan had that influence in our in our society, in our age group, in our culture. So, you know, there was just something about the, the Michael Jordan era Bulls that was 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 special to me. Um, and, and I'll add that, you know, um, the Bulls were the team that I grew up liking and watching. The Nets were the team that gave me my first big break. Um, and, you know, actually to, you know, be at Nets home games and be in the locker room and, you know, meet Michael Jordan, meet Ron Harper, meet Scottie Pippen, meet Luke Longley, Dennis Rodman, all those different things. I have stories for days. Like the first time I met Michael Jordan, to me, that was like a full circle moment at a young age. You know, I, at this to this day, I have a pair of, um, red and white size 16 Nikes that Luke Longley gave me when I was a kid after a game. I'll never forget that. No, but yeah, Brandon, that just raised a question myself. What was it like meeting Michael Jordan? Because obviously Michael Jordan, he's one of those players that were more than just a basketball player. He was he was worldwide known. Obviously, the Dream Team really boosts his well awareness, and especially especially for me at least, what I've been learning, what I've been researching, and looking up is he was never a guy that spoke on a lot of social issues. He always kept to himself, which played in a negative in some factors and a positive in others. But kind of what was it, your experience like meeting Michael Jordan and kind of just talking to him, just being like a real person, just one-on-one? Well, what I'll tell you is um, it's funny you bring up the whole social issues. Um, I actually had Craig Hodges, uh, who was Michael Jordan's teammate uh, and a member of the Bulls championship team in 91. You know, he was banned uh, from uh, – the NBA was blackballed uh, after, you know, him writing a letter to former President George Herbert Walker Bush uh, discussing, you know, mistreatments of African-Americans at large. He was he was it said that he was blackballed and they often compare him to uh, being Colin Kaepernick at large in the NBA. Um, that said, um, Craig Hodges often talked about to me on the podcast how Michael, um, you know, really started to be comfortable in the white house when bill clinton became president and how you know you know he made a he was he made a statement years ago they asked him who he was voting for because it was an african-american who was running and he said republicans buy air jordans too and that was a thing uh he and Mm -hmm. bill clinton had a better relationship to directly answer your question about michael jordan uh what i can tell you is i was starstruck you know i i when i saw him so if you go in, in in that locker room that locker room was like an old hockey locker room. When you opened the door, it was like WD-40. You needed WD-40 to, to kind of get the, the creakiness. It's like a, <laughs> in the door. Uh, I remember that to this day. Um, and when you walk in the locker room, the middle of the locker room was like a old school TV. I don't know if you guys remember or you were too young, but if you had um, in school, if you had recess and it was raining that day you stayed inside and they brought it they wheeled in a tv with a vcr 
um, it was that type of TV in the Nets locker room, and there'd be chairs and people would be watching film. I remember sometimes walking in the locker room when the Bulls were in town, and Dennis Rodman would be wearing pajama pants, and he would have, they were like check, checkerboard pajama pants, and he had white ankle socks with balls on them, like frilly balls. And he would sit Indian style in the locker room and watching film, and you couldn't talk to him. So that was Dennis. You had, you had Scotty sitting on one wall, kind of just chilling and socializing. You had Ron Harper, who, until I spoke to him and interviewed him, I didn't know that he had a stuttering impediment. So, like, when I interviewed him, I remember seeing a Batman tattoo on his ankle and him wearing Team Jordan sneakers and us having a conversation. And I remember, the, and, and I'm not cracking, I'm, I remember the interview taking a little longer because he, was, because he stuttered. And then when you look to the other side of the room, there was this door and the door was closed. You could not go in there even if you had a credential because that was the room where the coaches were. So like Phil Jackson was in there, late uh, legendary Bulls assistant coach Tex Winter was in there and Michael Jordan was in there. And so I remember to this day, I opened the door, I looked to my left and I see his, I see the red 23 jersey hanging up with his Jordans. And I looked up and he was getting ready to walk out. He looked at me, he smiled, he said, hello. And I was, and I looked at him and I go, oh, and I didn't <laughs> shit. <laughs> because I was so starstruck. That's probably one of the only times I've been starstruck at meeting somebody because why isn't Michael Jordan in my television set? Why am I looking at him? It was, it was a it was an opportunity. Of a lifetime that that I'll I'll never forget, just because I have that much respect for him as as a as a pioneer. Awesome, I know man. I feel that I feel that because that's one of those big things. Because obviously I don't get starstruck a lot, and thank God I have it. Not on wood that I have it, but I can imagine just kind of seeing Michael Jordan. Obviously Michael Jordan, like I said before, he was more he was that first athlete that really took kind of a worldwide approach and kind of being known as more than a basketball player. Obviously, it was Magic and Bird. I know, he was also an actor. The NBA's. Well, yeah, then he got tagged into some of that type of field mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but Bernie, I got to ask you too, especially since we, since we talked a little about it, what would you think that NBA era would be like if Twitter and social media was back then? Would anything be different? Do you think that players, obviously you think Dennis Rodman would probably be a little more outspoken on there, a couple other guys, but... What would you feel like the NBA kind of their landscape would be like if Twitter and social media at this day, day and age was like back then? Well, you know, I'm, I'm very, very cool with um, Darius Miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met Dar- Darius. Very good. Very nice guy. Very He's nice cool guy. People. Darius, Darius called me a few weeks ago. We were just talking about a bunch of stuff. And I asked him, we were talking about the Lakers, we were talking about the Clippers, we were just talking about a bunch of just different stuff and something we're working on. And what he taught, when I I started talking to him about um, his era, and I said, yo, if Twitter existed today, um, how would that Clippers team fare? Like, Like, could we see, look into your world on social media? He said, hell no. He said they were just having so much fun, but at the same time, they were ahead of their time. That Clippers mm-hmm. team was on the cover of Slam magazine. They were, they were, they were just cool. You know, they, they, they just they, they had a different cool. style. That's what it is to themselves. They Quentin, him, 
Yeah, they exactly. Were, they were different. So I, I, to answer your question, like I've asked players that, like certain guys, like like you look at Kenny Anderson, former Net, who's very active. Oh yeah, well, on one of our earlier episodes for sure. To, to me, Tibbs playing with Derek Coleman, um, that Nets era was dysfunctional, but they had fun. Butch Beard uh, and Derek Coleman did not get along. Um, Chuck Daly, um, you know, was an okay guy. Um, Jason Williams, who, who I talked to the other day, he liked to have fun. And, and maybe that, that era of 90s basketball, there are certain things then that um, wouldn't be acceptable now. I'll leave it like that. Um, oh, for sure. Mr. Chibs did allude to that kind of stuff. Yes. Mom. Yes. Um, I think players are, are smarter now. I think players partied more now or party more back then. I think now because teams fly private, because, you know, you even look at that Nets era, like that Nets era in the 90s, they practice at a, at a practice facility in Secaucus. There's privatized everything now. There's team security. They move around like the president. So I, I think that era um, of basketball – uh, it, it it would be a very inappropriate to put some of the things that were happening in that NBA social uh, atmosphere online. Like even as a kid at 12 years old, being in the Nets locker room, um, I was hearing things that I shouldn't have been hearing as a 12 year old. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That I was ahead of the curve with some of my classmates in school. So um, social media would have been very interesting I don't think that I think there would have been a lot more divorce and maybe a lot more lawsuits, but I think it balanced itself out. Uh, that I guess it's a good thing then. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, exactly. In the realm of journalism, where do you see the field of sports journalism heading? Obviously, if you if you told anyone nowadays that social media or at least back then social media would really boost and change the field of sports journalism today, I don't think a lot of people would really piggyback off that idea but in your own opinion where do you see this going i would believe it because um i have a master's degree i went to hofstra university uh long island uh i got a master's in sports and entertainment journalism and i remember taking a feature writing class and the teacher or the professor said to uh, the class um this was 2010 either 2009 or 2000 it was 2009 she said to to the class in the next 10 to 15 years it's going to be less about networks and more about brands and resources and sources uh, which goes back to what I said to you at the beginning of the broadcast about information and you know me getting things out because of relationships the professor said it's about brands it's about relationships and who tells you what and being credible um, and as you see a lot of people are freelancing a lot of people aren't making as much money as they used to I was watching a documentary earlier today on um, Lorena Bobbitt and her husband, and how Barbara Walters had called Lorena Bobbitt in jail and wanted to do this interview, and how they were blocking her. And she was mad because she said, I've interviewed kings, presidents, dictators, and you're not going to let me interview Lorena Bobbitt? And the point I'm making with that is, she was at ABC at 2020, and you weren't going to let Barbara Walters interview Lorena Bobbitt? And I just think, you know, in in the space that we're in, you know, you look at guys, respectable names like Adrian Wojnarowski, who's had a track record of, you know, breaking news. He's been in the business a long time because of, of relationships. You look at Stephen A. when he was at the Inquirer, had a, 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 a credited for relationships and, and, and what have you. 
Um, you, you just look at these situations with guys who built relationships and you're seeing it in real time now where guys are on Twitter telling you what's going on and it goes viral. I think it's open space it's to be creative, but it's also you can't believe everything somebody puts out there. I've been accused of that, you know, so it's like everybody looks for credible names. But I also think there are new it's people tough. Emerging it's tough. There's just so many people ways to put their name out there. No doubt. No, exactly. I, I can relate on that because as reporters and as writers, right, you know, relationships and sources, they're gained through experience. It's not like one of those things that one guy tells you this and you can put it out. You got to use you got to think about it. You're like, all right, this guy told me this. Is he just telling me something that will please the media or something that he wants to go out in the media? Or is it the truth? Or is he telling me something completely false to just kind of just slander a little bit? Right. So you got to you got to you got to know when to put out what to put out. And that's how sources are made. Like you said, it's the relationships. You got to build relationships. You got to trust the person. You got to everything goes into a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people, like you said before, put out stuff. They hear something or they're like, oh, you know what? This may happen. It's leaning towards it. it's 90 percent chance this could happen X amount of days. I'm just going to put it out first because I want to take credit for it. But they haven't heard anything or they heard something from a non-credible person. So yeah. I know exactly what you mean from there. It's spot on. Yeah, the day of the cloud chasing is real is so real with social media. I think that's probably the biggest negative right now with social media compared to like back then. But I mean, that's just what comes with it with just so many different people in the field. Yeah, it's it's difficult. Um it's difficult because even the people who are trying, like who are actually plugged this is listen. I had a conversation. Uh, I was in I was I was in Florida trying to catch up with a, a friend of mine that works for the NBA, and I had called her, and she wasn't in town. She was back in Manhattan. We ended up talking on the phone for like an hour. She said this to me, and it's so true. She said, "We live in an era where we're living it in real time, and you have to be perfect, and your faults are broadcasted more than your accomplishments." Exactly. And, yeah, no. What's said on the internet stays on the internet, and it sucks. Oh, for sure, <laughs> it sucks. There's always um, going to be an asterisk next to your name, your next to your comment. Like, it's it, it's terrible, and it's that's the issue with you know fans have this that to say, and then other media outlets like everyone's you know at war with each other, and you know at the end of the day, it's a common goal like to get it out there, you know, to give everyone something to vibe on, but at the same time, like. You know, the whole Shams and Woj battle, as fun as it is for fans, you know, at the end of the day, like, these are people's jobs. And, you know, you got to take it for less than a grain of salt. Like, you know, more than a grain of salt, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say to you is I think this past summer uh, was a great example of it. Everybody thought Kawhi Leonard was going to Los Angeles as a member of the Lakers because that was the information that many of us, including myself, from three people, was given. And you look at situations where, you know, Kevin Durant made up his mind that he was going to Brooklyn. As you know, I had Kyrie Irving going to Brooklyn since February 24th. Um, but information, you know, there's there's people out there, you know, who have who even have blue checks. And, you know, people think they're cloud chasing, but you have to do your research on people. I think a lot of times people just look at social media and think, well, they're credible. But like, what's their track record? You know. A lot of times people, um, you know, people talk about clickbait. People talk about this, that, and the third. Like, you have to vet people. You have to do your research. But also, 
you have to give people the the, the room to be wrong too. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Everybody's not going to get it one hundred percent correct, and you also have to look at the information that's been given to you and who the person gets. Context matters. Look at the situation with Kyrie Irving and Kenny Atkinson in the Brooklyn Nets. Perfect example. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Exactly. Spot on. So, Spot so on. before we get into the NBA, and of course we're going to deep dive a little bit more into the Kyrie stuff since you got that connection. Um, so who and we you've touched upon this lightly, but who are some of your favorite athletes to interview? What was your favorite news to break and the origins of Scoopy? Um. So I'll start with Scoopy first. The nicknames should be given. You shouldn't give yourself those nicknames. As I told you before, I did Net Slamming Planet uh, with Albert King, uh, Evan Roberts, and a woman named Lynn Wilson. Lynn Wilson was the host of was the main host of the show. I was the co-host with Albert and Evan, and um, they basically um, gave me the nickname Scoopy because I was in the locker room getting the, you know the, the scoop of what was going on back in the day. I mean, I'd be in the locker room chilling with the late Anthony Mason or Glenn Rice or you know Scotty and Michael or. Um, you know, Rex Chapman, some of those other guys that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, one day I would go in the locker room and I would get interviews and then bring it back to Chris Carino. And then he'd cut up the interviews. And I had a, a, a segment on the show called Nets Court. And one day Lynn gave me the nickname Scoop B. And it kind of stuck. When I was in high school, I went to Don Bosco Prep. Um, and, you know, my, pen, my, my nickname was Spren Scoop B. Robinson for, you know, my column. I had a column, you know, my, I transferred to Don Bosco. I went to Seton Hall Prep my freshman year, transferred to Don Bosco. And, um, you know, just the Scoop B thing kind of stuck through college and through life and, you know, just constant branding and just, you know, right place, right time. Even after I left the Nets uh, doing the radio show, I still would come back to practices, still go to games. And, you know, the, the, the Scoop B thing is where it started um, from, from the, the, the Nets days. As far as favorite athletes and celebrities at large to interview, um, I, I love talking to Allen Iverson, um, influential guy. Um, as far as uh, other people interview, I, um, retired NBA player Tim Thomas. I've had him on my podcast many a times. Um, I, I enjoy, you know, talking and interviewing Jamal Crawford. And by the way, he should still be a, he should be with a team now, and uh, hopefully that changes soon. Um, oh, definitely. And 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 Carmelo Anthony, another guy who was kind of um, not necessarily treated the right way, Scooby and uh, glad that that he's getting his just due. Uh, Anthony Davis is someone that over the last year i've gotten to know uh it has always given me good sound bites to marcus cousins um the list goes on and on but those are some of the favorite people that i that i enjoy talking to on a regular that's awesome it's a great mix of people yeah for sure so right now we're at the home stretch so we're just gonna bring it on to today's nba so let's talk about the current state of nets as you hinted at before and mentioned let's talk uh Kyrie first let's go from there well, I'm happy he's back. Uh, 21 points in Sunday's game against the Atlanta Hawks got the win. Um, I think uh, Kyrie is in a good situation, and I'm glad to see he and Spencer Dinwiddie uh, play next to each other. If, if I can make a comparison, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, Joe Dumars starting alongside Isaiah Thomas. You can play a two-point guard lineup, and to be honest with you, uh, when Kevin Durant comes back, when he comes back, if he comes back, whenever he comes back, <laughs> I'd like to see the three of them play play with each other and play a small oh, ball sure. lineup where you got Spencer, Kyrie, KD, and Karras. And maybe you shift KD to the four, then you start Karras at the three, and then you have Jaron Allen at the five. Everybody yeah, it's a, it's a good problem ball. to have. Yes, for sure. 
For sure. So, you know, in the current net space that there is, I like Joe Harris. I like, you know, he and Kyrie have have history. More than just your average Joe. Exactly. Exactly. They have history uh, playing with each other in in, in Cleveland. I actually went to that game. I think the Cavaliers had like 16 three pointers in the first half against the Atlanta Hawks some years ago. I was at Quick and Loans Arena for that game. Um, I I like the way that Joe Harris uh, is, is clutch and he had somebody that he is. Uh, familiar with in Kyrie Irving. This is a team that's still building, um, and Kyrie is definitely the key that starts the engine that makes him move. And, you know, there's been a lot of criticism while he's out, um, and everybody's looking at Spencer Dinwiddie and what he's able to do. But, I mean, any basketball fan will tell you, um, you know, he, he's he's one of the best in the business. But the thing is with Kyrie Irving is this. Like, it's, as much as I praise him, I've said this since the beginning of the season, Kyrie and the Nets will only be as good as, as Kyrie Irving's health. He's got he's, he's to play. He can't be out many games like that. He's been fragile. And this is going back to the Cleveland days, even even going back to the Duke days. Yeah, I was about to say even the Duke days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's got to be healthy. That's the most important part of this whole operation. He's got to be consistent. No, of course. I mean, like I said before, it's a good problem to have being everyone healthy, like all these lineup changes. You know, at the end of the day, you start the game strong. You mix a match with the bench, you know, with the closers, like, that's the real thing that matters. Everyone's like, oh, start bench. I'm like, at the end of the day, who's in the slump? Who's not in the slump? How many minutes they get? Like, go with the flow of the game, you know? it's very. It can be very hit or miss. Sometimes you got to mix it up. Not every game's the same. So you need to play, you know, in the flow of things. So if you don't. But yep. uh, since you mentioned them, is this the year that Spencer Dinwiddie is an all-star? Whether he is picked because the fans and the media and the players or the coaches? Do you think this is his time? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's not a direct correlation, but but it, 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 it's damn near close. Um, when I look at Spencer Dinwiddie, his journey reminds me somewhat of Chauncey Billups uh, as a guy that bounced from a couple teams. Chauncey was more on more teams than, than Spencer, but I remember watching Chauncey Billups when he had hair, he was a member of the Boston Celtics and was teammates with Purvis Ellison and, and, and Antoine Walker. And, um, and, and, you know, seeing him win a championship with the Detroit Pistons in 2004 as a starting point guard alongside Rasheed Wallace, Ben Wallace, Rip Hamilton, Tayshaun Prince, et cetera, was, was, was definitely an underdog story of a guy that busted his ass. And, you know, I, I look at Spencer Dinwiddie. You've had D'Angelo Russell and Kyrie Irving in and out um, Spencer Dinwiddie has been old reliable. And, um, you know, I, I remember Spencer uh, participating in some of the NBA All-Star activities um, at, 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 uh, in L.A. and winning uh, back in 2018 and was just pleased at just, you know, how, how uh, much he is not high maintenance. Uh, I spoke to someone within the Nets organization that told me all he did during All-Star Weekend was spend time with his family, go back to his room and continue that. Wasn't really a go-out guy, wasn't really a rah-rah guy. No, he's he's a very genuine guy. Genuine dude, and he's found his niche in in, in Brooklyn, and whether Kyrie is in or out, I think he's going to be consistent. And and he's saying the right things, as is Kyrie. Um, I'd like to see Spencer um, through those 25 games that Kyrie has been out, uh, I think those are games well enough for him to earn uh, a vote in at the very least. Um, and I think he's gotten a lot of rival uh, front office and coaches attention for as much. I mean, you know that to be true because over the last couple of years, there have been a lot of league executives who have been interested in. Oh, for sure. Like the Suns. 
yeah, the Suns, and even you know during that whole uh, Jimmy Butler situation, the Nets and 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 the Minnesota Timberwolves um, a season before were engaged in talks and, and potentially getting Spencer Dinwiddie, and the Nets pulled away from the table. Um, so you know, I, I think Spencer is getting his just due as as somebody that many people should have a long time ago been paying attention to, and you know, thankfully that that's the case, and I, I'd like to see that transfer into some sort of um, recognition on being in an all on an All Star team. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, who wouldn't want a guy that's going to be uh, the next Tony Stark Iron Man? You know, it's great. You know, the way they interact with fans, you know, the Tech Seven is the Bitcoin's currency. It's a lot of fun. It's different, you know, and they're so tactful when they speak. Like, it really makes you want to listen. So I really love that about them. Yeah. So- yeah. And then, Brent, I got to ask you, I got to ask you, too, is I met you or I met you again at D'Angelo Russell's uh, pro camp back in, I think it was June, if I co- recall correctly. And... Mm-hmm. I know when me and you were both there, we and you had side conversations. You could tell by D'Angelo's body language how he's kind of presenting himself. You knew that the organization was heading in a different direction, just about the, the feel of it and kind of just the atmosphere that was in there, especially while he was around kids. It was a great pro camp for him. But do you think the franchise moved in the right direction, kind of skipping over, kind of going with Katie and, and Kyrie rather than kind of building around D'Angelo and kind of having that aspect? What do you think about that? And how, Overall, how do you think D'Angelo is doing in Golden State? I like D'Angelo in Golden State only because he's filling up the stat line and, 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 and getting his numbers and his just due. But who likes losing? Um, and a lot of that had to do simply with just – you know, a carryover from the NBA finals between Klay Thompson tearing his ACL and, you know, and then Steph hurting himself in season and, you know, KD leaving and some of those other aspects. It was time for those guys to go. And I think he lucked out in a a great situation because I do think that the Warriors are going to retool. And if they don't trade him at the trade deadline, uh, I think he is a guy that will be a valuable asset um, to, to, to that team moving forward. Um, And and as far as the body language uh, and, and things of that sort, I think that the net, the writing on the wall uh, for for D'Angelo was two things. One, getting on a plane and having contents that he had in his bag going through TSA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was an interesting yep. situation. Two was when the Nets made the move to move pieces to clear cap space for Kevin Durant and and and, and Kyrie. In theory, you know, if it wasn't them, it was somebody else. Uh, but when you sit and you think about it, Kyrie and KD were sending smoke screens all season. I, I'll, I'll share this with you. Um, not this summer, but the summer before, KD and Kyrie went on vacation together. Um, and they, 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 when they had their vacation together, it was proposed then um, that those two guys uh, should join forces and join um, the, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, K, or rather Kyrie, once told me that you know playing watching Jason Kidd play during the New Jersey Nets era was 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 a pleasure you know he has a great deal of respect for uh, Jason Kidd and the Nets organization Byron Scott who coached Jason and with the Brooklyn Nets or rather with the New Jersey Nets uh, was his coach in Cleveland early on and you know I, I speak to Byron uh, via text uh, every now and then and, you know he had him on the Scoopy Radio podcast and he told me you know Kyrie Irving was is one of the most coachable players that he's ever had the the the, the ability to coach he's coached you know, uh, Kobe Bryant and, and, and others, but um, Kyrie had kind of made up his mind uh, back in February when I, when I put out my report. And what I can tell you is, you know, Boston was a team uh, that was a, a consideration going into free agency. But what I will tell you is uh, KD had made up his mind, like the free agency that Sunday when free agency was, 
was was uh, the decision of when you could start committing was Sunday. KD had made up his mind that Thursday. They're friends. I spent time with K, KD and Kyrie um, in Charlotte uh, during All-Star Weekend at Michael Jordan's party. And those two were inseparable at that party that and that weekend in, in Charlotte uh, during the All-Star game. Um, you know, they were I'll just say they 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 I when I left that party, I said to myself, yep, those two guys are going to be a package deal wherever they go. I know that the Brooklyn Nets um, has a chance. The New York Knicks is what's being reported. But. Uh, I remember a conversation I had with Shaq this summer. He said to me, if I had big plans, why would I tell everybody that I had big plans and exactly where I'm going to go? New York was in the cars, but they went the opposite direction and they joined Brooklyn. I'm fine with it. (laughs) That's that's, that's exactly what they did. And, you know, when I look at those two guys together, they have the ability to attract other guys to come. But, I mean, when I look at this Brooklyn Nets team, they were a special bunch even before Kyrie and KD came along. They're an added bonus, if, if you will. It reminds me of the Clippers in this instance. The Clippers were already a loaded team. Their best player came off the bench and Lou Williams, and you added Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to their roster, and they're an even better team. When you look at the Brooklyn Nets, they went to the playoffs last year. D'Angelo Russell was scoring his tail off, and you had key role guys who were still growing, like Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, and Kenny Atkinson is the head coach, you know? So it's like you add Kyrie and KD, there's an adjustment period there because K- Kyrie dribbles the ball like it's a yo-yo in his hand, and, you know, he, he gets his shots off, and people sometimes stand around and watch. Um, but he's also a team player. I think sometimes playing along LeBron James creates some very lazy habits, if you will, um, kind of like Darren Williams when he joined the Nets and he became a pass-first point guard. Kind of became a, a, a scorer and, and, and didn't trust his teammates. Kyrie still has that chance to kind of be that complete guy that I know he will be once KD steps on the court. But it's going to be an adjustment period for the both of them. Once oh, of course, the of course. I mean, just have the threat there. I think has helped younger guys like Rodion Karuks, John Musa, and some of the other guys because part of the issue why guys why some of our guys have been in slumps are that they're playing outside of themselves. They certain role players, you know, they know what they can do. So to have additional offense, it's a great problem to have so many players that can do X, Y, and Z, but there still needs to be some kind of balance. Agreed. Agreed wholeheartedly. Yeah, so I think that's why some guys like Prince and Jarrett went into some kind of slump. GT, you know, had to play a little extra than he needed to. So having guys back, like, fully healthy, it's really going to show. And I think, as you mentioned before, this summer is going to be very interesting because to see that they're here, they're going to be healthy, in my opinion. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm an over-optimistic fan. The free agency for them is going to be very interesting of which guys take, let's let's call it pay cuts. Like, who knows? Maybe Sergi Baca, as he hinted, and KD, they might, you know, end their careers together in Brooklyn. Yeah, it could happen. I, I haven't heard anything to that 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 definitive. I, listen, I have to be very careful what I say because if I don't, oh my goodness. So what I'll say is, it looks good on paper. It sounds good, but um, I, I definitely think with like I I'll I, I say this to you. A uh, retired player called me a couple weeks ago and said to me, "The Knicks burning their relationship with Carmelo Anthony." Um, would be a catalyst for why KD and Kyrie wouldn't join the Knicks. Think about it. If Carmelo um, is the OG and those guys look up to them and respect them, 
if Carmelo ha- has mentored KD and they're calling him and asking him, yo, what do you think about the Knicks? He's going to tell them, don't join them for this reason, that reason, and what have you. As a matter of fact, DeAndre Jordan, being a member of the Knicks, can tell him everything he wants to know. Oh, no doubt. I mean, he recruited to the Nets from the Knicks bench. Yeah, and, and, and but here's the thing. Like, we can I, – I, I try to be neutral when it comes to Nets-Knicks because th- they're both underperforming currently. Like, let's keep it real. The Nets beat the Atlanta Hawks Sunday night. That's great. Kyrie Irving came back. But you got to play a Lakers team uh, next week that, you know, has something to say about that, that hasn't lost 10 games yet uh, at the yeah. time of this recording. You know, the, yeah. the, the Knicks are starting to make somewhat of a surge. They're still not in the playoff picture. Um, so, you know, we're, we're fighting over pennies and nickels. But No, of I, course, I, it's still early for both teams. I mean, Knicks need yeah. more shooting and ball handling. The Nets exactly. really need health. So, I mean. Exactly, because you got, you got to also remember, too, the Nets beat the Hawks. It was a good win, don't get me wrong, but they were without Trey Young. That's yes. a big thing, too. So you, yes. you got to look at that. It's a good bounce-back win, Great, good good time to get your rhythm back in. But that wasn't you need more Atlanta. games that like the one against the, the Heat. That was not the Atlanta Hawks. That was yep. not, I get it. Yep, that's a big thing. Yeah. And, and then to piggyback a little bit off what you said about Melo and everything, too, you got to remember, too, is Lance Thomas, when he signed with Brooklyn at the beginning of the season, there's no better person to talk to about the Knicks than Lance Thomas. Mm-hmm. Lance, Lance Thomas was there a long time. And he knows the ins and outs of that organization, how they work, too. So you never know what could have sure. sprouted from there. And you got to think about this, too. Like, when you look at KD and Kyrie um, as it relates to where they'd go, um, the, the Nets, like, when you look at LeBron James and, and Wade, and Dwayne Wade, for example, when in 2010, they could have joined the, the Chicago Bulls with Derrick Rose. Dwayne Wade's from Chicago, LeBron's from Cleveland. And they're from the Midwest at large. That's a lot of pressure to um, join a Bulls team where Michael Jordan was the standard. When you look at KD and Kyrie, Kyrie was never going to the Knicks as much as people thought that that was fact. That was that's actually fiction. And Brooklyn has a culture that has still untapped. We're coming up on ten years of the Nets being in, at the Barclays Center almost. And the highlight of the Nets' playoff runs were, okay, you can go with the Nets and Sixers playoff series, but before that, you know, was Darren Williams and Gerald Wallace and Joe Johnson in the playoffs and getting Brooklyn hype, Andre Blatch, all of that culture. But the Nets have untapped culture that KD and Kyrie can create versus having to, you know, compete with the Patrick Ewings, the John Starks, is the Red Arbacks, or excuse me, not Red Arbacks, the, the, the Willis Reeves, the Walt Clyde Frazier's. That's a lot of pressure comparatively to when, you know, uh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James were considering going to Chicago Bulls. That They have a clean slate to create a culture in Brooklyn. That's cool. No doubt. No doubt, no doubt. And then transition a little bit to the final question. We ask this to every guest. Brandon, who is coming out of the East? Who is coming out of the West? And who is going to win it all this year? Um, the Sixers are playing well, right? You know, in the new year, but Milwaukee has been consistent thus far to me. Um, and I, and I, I hope to see them in the Eastern conference In the Western conference, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, as you know, I've been pretty spot on with a lot of the happenings and grumblings and going on of what's going on with the Lakers and Anthony Davis, LeBron James coming to the Lakers space. Jared Dudley thing. Yes. Jared being a member of the the former net, being a member of the Los Angeles Lakers now. And uh, I I like I like their story because um, 
it's in real time. And in, in, a, in a load management era, LeBron James is being out with the with a cold is 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 put out there to the public rather than you know Doc Rivers deciding whether he wants to rest Kawhi Leonard on on back to back. So I like the Lakers' story. I only worry about the fact that. Um, I don't want them to burn out. And I think that at some points in December, they burnt out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, That's I true. definitely think they should utilize back-to-backs. So who's winning all then? If we got potentially the Bucks and the Lakers? I have the Lakers. Go- Lakers. I think the Lakers can win it this year. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Brandon, thanks again for joining us, taking some time out of your night to talk to Doug and I. We really appreciate it, my man. Thank you for the opportunity to be myself. And, hey, Thanks for believing my Kyrie reports. It's a tough one <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.